Primary election. Lack of diversity. Gas prices. Michael Jack. Trending topics. That is the election. For the moment. Time. We have been for a very long time. Um, for some of us, probably more than others, because we have just been anticipating um, a change in leadership um, from the toppest, highest levels of this country, which is uh, the White House. We, um, you know, so we are still waiting. We are still, um, you know, looking for results. And um, as you can see, um, you know, we are pretty much sitting on, um, you know, the, you know. Um, Biden being ahead with um, Donald Trump, um, you know, trailing closely behind. And I say closely because it's really a matter of finding out, um, you know, how these last few states um, end up. So, um, so yeah, and I know that some news um, networks have, you know, called um, Arizona um, and, and others have not. So, you know, we still are up in the air. No announcements have been made. We are waiting. Um, and so in the meantime, um, you know, we are, you know, there have been a lot of different types of activity going on. There has been, there's been a lot of support for those who are still counting ballots in the states that we're waiting for, um, you know, and by way of, uh, a, a, you know, a, a football team and I got and it just left me. I can't remember which one sent dinner to those who are counting votes. And then at the same time, we have people who are, protesting um, in both Michigan and Arizona um, and wanting to monitor the votes and wanting the votes to stop. I'm sorry, wanting the the, the count to stop. And so um, really interesting um, uh, dynamics that's that's happening here in this election. Um, so uh, ladies, I'm, I'd love to hear um, your perspective in terms of, you know, what does this mean for us um, looking at the way this is going, you know, challenging the counting, stop the counting. Um, you know, is, is are we on the verge of some kind of major change in the way that we constitutionally vote? Well, I would, you know, first just thank thank you for the work that you're doing around the linguistics. I actually did my college major in linguistics. Okay. As well as Hispanic linguistics at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. They're one of the only schools that really have a program that helps you understand what impact does dialect have in region and class and structure and verbiage. And so as a millennial elected official who started off in office when President Obama was, you know, the leader of the free nation, I, I came through with the mentalities of yes, we can and the hopefulness and the different Dream Act and all the things that really symbolize unity and the differences that are happening now, absolutely you are seeing that messaging happen today as Georgia is counting votes, which is why my shirt says count every vote. And we mm. think it is really important that in every language we have that messaging out. So our international affairs liaison within my office has started a campaign in Georgia, just to make uh, the Latino and Hispanic community know that we are still standing with them counting every vote, because when we vote, we took our family with us, and this is a very important election for our communities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, one of the things that happens is that um, President Trump is laying the groundwork for us not being able to challenge uh, the legal actions that he's taking. So even before the election started properly, right, before any of the votes have been counted, he's already saying, I'm going to challenge, I'm not going to step down. And this is actually a kind of intimidation. If you think about it, People yeah. are being intimidated not to vote because they think, oh, he's got it in the bag already. He's going to fight it. I don't want to get into that. So it's a, it's, it's really a deterrent to uh, people's ability and right to vote and right to be counted, no matter what their language of origin, no matter what their country of origin. Um, yeah. This is a, the very destructive kind of way that, um, as I said, reality is shifting out from under us. It's almost a weird type of um, hypnotism that's, you know, it's, it's like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And then when it happens, you're not going to be surprised because I already told you. And it was, it's just a, a, a really um, interesting mind trick that, that so many people are on both sides are falling for, um, you know, and it, 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 it's, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's a phenomenon. Um, and I'm really glad that you're studying this. Um, I'm curious to know more about the visual linguistics piece. You talked about the target. Um, I, I'm curious to know what kinds of visual linguistics are we seeing now? Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about gesture, right? And especially the gestures that uh, President Trump has deployed in order to weaken his opponents, to mock his opponents, and to mock the public in general, right? It's mm -hmm. no accident, really, that we have forced sterilizations of minority women, which has been going on in this country for years and years and years, both African-American women, Native American women, and Latinx women. Um, everybody is getting forced sterilizations because our bodies are not respected and our bodies are not counted. And one of the ways that you can see that bodies are not respected is by the way that they are voiced in the, in the speech of another. So when President Trump gets up and mocks a disabled reporter, you can mm -hmm. see that this is a body he does not respect. When he gets up and mocks Hillary Clinton for, uh, you know, a shuffle or, or any kind of, or when he says Sleepy Joe, all of these things, right, are mm -hmm. things that, um, I mean, even with his own kin, he doesn't respect their bodies. And he talks about women's bodies in a way that's really degrading and demeaning and really shows us um, the kinds of regard that people have. So the, the visual, visual linguistics, the gesture aspect is parallel to language. And sometimes yeah. somebody will make a gesture that in the feelings. Um, and I think it's really important um, to talk about that. The, so in, in our book, we have a chapter by um, Hall, Ingram, and Goldstein that goes into that, into all of the visuality. And, and it's, it's amazing to analyze it. Hmm. Uh, it, it sounds fascinating. And, um, you know, the, just the way that you were talking about the disrespect of, of bodies, one of the ways that this played out was um, the ways in which he's continuously attacked um, the squad. And, you know, yeah. we're, we're here with the squad. These uh, This is compi uh, composing of um, uh, State House of Representative um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, Ilhan Mohar, um, Omar, 
of Minnesota, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, Rashida Tlaib of um, Michigan, and they have been um, attacked by him repeatedly in exactly the way that you describe, you know, just complete disrespect for them and, and for their bodies. Um, Representative Cannon, I'm, I'm curious to know that, you know, yourself being a woman who is, you know, representing representative for Georgia, um, have you experienced these kinds of attacks? Um, in And how do you push forward? How do you handle that? Luckily, I'm a girl raised in the South. I love my grits. You know, I've lived around the world in, you know, places like Ecuador and Portugal and Mexico and North Carolina, California, New York, Vermont. You know, I've I've gotten the understanding that because Georgia is such a global state internationally trading with our ports, the world's busiest airport in the city of Atlanta, the Center for Disease Control here, I mean, the historical civil rights features, all of that going on. It reminds me the fight that I'm up against when just last year, it was the 60th anniversary since Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s untimely assassination. I went around to every member of the House of Representatives and asked them, did they want to sign the resolution that just commended that day and just helped us as a state understand the impact that he had had as a person uh, who is buried in the district that I represent at his church? And there were so many members who told me, no, they didn't want to. They didn't want to be a part of that. I should go on, girl, with that. And understanding what girl means, understanding that that is a term that has been derogatory to black women for years. The assault on our bodies continues with the desire to ban reproductive health procedures, Mm -hmm. which I took straight to the well and defended the right to choose. Also saying just because someone wants to make a decision with their doctor, it is not for lawmakers to decide. However, we're still in the courts. So it takes some strength and some perseverance, not only personally, but politically, to deal with these types of attacks. Yeah, absolutely. And and what is it that the, the rest of us can do um, to better support um, our, our women, our people of color, our underrepresented groups as they are trying to make change, doing the work? We're blessed just to know that every single person has a story and every single person is a subject matter expert. Please share your facts, your data, your statistics with your legislators as we are supposed to be following that and making law in accordance. I love it. That's really encouraging because many of us um, get caught up in the, it's just me, it's just my little life. What difference does it make? Um, and it does make a difference. It, it truly does. So um, so when we come back, we're going to be looking at a little bit of research and um, continuing this conversation. So stay with us on the Live Exchange. All right. So if we are looking at um, just kind of what's going on, and we were just talking about the um, you know, just how, how black women, how women of color, how Latina women are, are really marginalized um, in a lot of ways, particularly 
um, by the president. And um, one of the things that I wanted to um, put out there for those of us who might not, you know, be familiar um, is black feminist theory. Um, and there's a lot of work right now on black feminist theory, particularly black feminist thought um, and um, the champion for that particular um, idea of black feminist thought is uh, Patricia Hill Collins. Um, so definitely check out her work. Um, but looking at black feminist theory, um, black feminist consciousness arises from an understanding of intersecting patterns of discrimination. So it's not just I'm discriminated against because I'm a black woman, but it's the um, and the intersection of the different ways in which, um, you know, I, I am discriminated, um, uh, you know, so race and gender, um, for example, looking at the intersection of that, looking at um, how, you know, if, you know, I'm, it's not just because I'm black, but it's also because I'm a black woman. And so there's a different dynamic that, that one experiences when they are really being hit with discrimination in, in, at both angles. Um, if race and gender, this is according to Evelyn, M. Simeon, if race and gender are studied as separate categories, one cannot explain how attitudes might change as a result of cross pressures to subordinate the interests of black women so as to protect um, black men. In this essay, um, Evelyn looks at black feminist consciousness, provides an overview of its origins, and she talks about how um, looking at black feminist voices in politics um, it, it, and, and the ways in which there's limitations, um, and yet, you know, Black women persist and they push and they push. But if we just observe and we just look at how Black women in politics are received, if we look at how Michelle Obama is received, if we look at how Maxine Waters has been received, um, there, there have been many attacks on not their policy necessarily or not what they're saying, but on who they are, what they look like, their gender. Um, so... That's the research. I just wanted to put that out there. And um, Dr. Mendoza Denton, this is talking about, you know, it's specifically Black women and so forth. But I know that there are also parallels with Latina women. You know, it, how do, can you speak to how this might um, parallel with the experiences of Latina women? Are there differences? Does it look very similar? I think that it it looks similar in some respects and it looks different in other respects. I think that the experience of black women in this country is so foundational to I mean everyone's experience you know comes from a deep well of of knowledge and of understanding um but at the same time I think at this particular juncture and in this particular moment in history it's so important to press the experience of black women. Uh, and to stand in solidarity. And um, certainly in the work that I do, which is, you know, I have I have no power except the power of the pen. And, mm -hmm. and I use that. And in my work, I make it just an absolute uh, must to cite Black women. Uh, because yeah. I think that research is so important. And I think it's coming from a place of um, just such deep experience. Um, so I think that... Um, on, okay, so that's the one thing. And on the other hand, um, I'll tell you from my own personal experience that being a Latinx woman in um, in academia is mm -hmm. very fraught. You know, there's a there's a reason why I feel like I can't even wear the color red uh, because there's so many stereotypes associated with it. With like 
uh, mamacita and so on. And you wouldn't believe, even as a professor, even as a dean, as a dean in the graduate division, I was getting people writing to me saying, oh, like, just harassment, actual harassment from people. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm flirting with a dean. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Right? Like, do you think that this is going to flatter me? Because it's not. Absolutely not. And so, so you just, um, just the indignities, I think, of being a woman in power are intense. And then you see what, what the squad has been subjected to, right? That they finally found their catchy yeah. phrase, capture them all, AOC plus three, right? I mean, that's just, yeah. Um, and the, the abuse that AOC has been subjected to, that she even had to complain about it on the floor of Congress, right? And, right. And that, more power to her for that, you know, for actually calling it out. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, and I have a question, um, even just about AOC. I've had conversations with this, about this with some of my colleagues is, um, what are your thoughts, you know, from a linguistic standpoint? Um, and, and also Representative Cannon, if you have any thoughts on this as well. Um, reducing her name, is it reducing her name to AOC? Um, and I know that she's, okay with this um it, do we require people to call us by our full names alexandria ocasio cortez um because that name speaks to my culture and my background and who i am i've struggled with that because i've used both you know and she's used both i'm curious to know you know your thoughts on that because a lot of us you know even the the mocking of kamala's name you know our names aren't even valued i i'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on that in Georgia, we have only elected two Latinas to the state house in our history. We've only elected one Asian man. We've only elected one person from India who's an immigrant. Unfortunately, we have one only Jamaican uh, descent person here in our The numbers go on and on, and we're proud to be able to say, no, we have elected the first German immigrant, and she's a woman. No, we are excited about celebrating Japanese heritage, Mexican heritage at the state capitol. And we're not afraid to create uh, influential Muslims in Georgia Day. But there are so many others who, when they come to the state capitol, that's their time to shine and to, for some way, galvanize individuals around hate and divisiveness. Luckily, we were able to pass our hate crime bill this year, a bill that sat in the Senate for over 300 days until Ahmaud Arbery was killed in our state while we were debating the measure. And Mm. we finally got the Senate to take that bill off the table. Of course, they wrestled with it, messed with it, passed a police immunity bill before they would pass the hate crime bill. But we are certainly very cognizant that as we bring our culture to the Capitol, they put up fences, they put up walls, and we simply have to continue to be diverse because yeah. that's what Georgia really is. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I just want to know, how, how is it that the country of Rwanda can have 68% female representation in their mm-hmm. government? Right. And we're just excited to get a handful, a handful reelected and a handful elected. Right. The right. fact that Representative Cannon is such such a rarity. Right. That's it, it shouldn't be. 
Well, and, and you know, just to quickly um, give a give a couple of stats. Um, looking at right now, we are at about thirty eight percent of Congress being women of color, and um, if we look at um, right now, um, with we have one Latina, um, you know, uh, in or is it two? Either way, one or two, <laughs> eight Pacific Islander, two, one multiracial, and this is in the Senate. For the House, um, we have twenty two black women. Um, and so there's four total in the Senate, which consists of a Latina, Asian Pacific Islander, two Asian Pacific Islanders, and one multiracial person. And then then woman, um, which is Kamala Harris, by the way. And then we have in the House, 22 black women. So when you say, um, Dr. Mendoza didn't, that we really need to pay attention to what's going on with black women and, and you know, that black women's stories are really the, the foundation of what's happening in this country. Um, we're, we're blazing trails in terms of this fight for equality. And I, and I agree from the standpoint that what we're doing is opening the doors for others who are being underrepresented in this country. And so we, we hear a lot, believe black women, trust black women, support black women. And that doesn't mean that that's it. It means that we are opening doors for everyone else. And so um, we're going to go to a break. I know I know, I got the signal. We're going to a break and uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. Pamela and um, we are at the at the tail end of this first hour with these two um, phenomenal guests, uh, Dr. Norma Mendoza Denton and Representative um, Park Cannon. Um, so I just wanted to give you both an opportunity to um, just you know impart some final words for us as we sit and wait either on edge or in peace. I'm I'm choosing peace <laughs> as we wait. <laughs> so. Um, I will allow the professor to go first. <laughs> thank you so much. I just, <clears throat> the first of all, I want to thank you for having me on the show. And I'm so honored to be here with Representative Cannon. Um, and I want to say that for each person out there, it's your duty to educate yourself about different viewpoints and to step outside of your bubble. All of us have been fed curated bubbles by our various social media platforms it's your duty to figure out how somebody else feels yes. and you know what is going on in their world that makes them you know lean a certain direction vote a certain direction why is it that latinx people uh who are cuban americans are very sensitive to being told that there's communism or a socialism coming down the line right how is that motivating somebody else we have to understand each other in order to be able to, to reach out to change behavior. And, and also polls don't mean anything without people on the ground to understand how people feel. Um, so that's, that's what I would say. Thank you for saying that because we have been watching these polls and, and really the reality, it's the people, it's us. That's it's what we actually do to turn out. So thank you so much for your words and thank for joining you. us. Thank All you. right. And uh, so, Representative Cannon, um, what what words would you like to part with? Well, the truth is count every vote is what we need to be pushing forward right now. In Georgia, we actually have a number of counties that still need volunteers to come to the county polling places and help them to cure the ballots um, yeah. and count the votes. 
there are two different ways that this happens. One is that someone has already sent in a ballot and we have to trace it back to their home and talk to them to see what their vote is or that actually the the ballot is sitting in the office but it just has not been counted. So if you want to be a part of either of those, please email south um georgiacure at gmail.com. Right now we are actively looking for people to count the votes as well as if you want to do it in the Metro Atlanta area, you can email tiffany at bayandassociates.com. I am happy to be contacted in the direct message as well as to share forward the fact that it actually takes a village to get votes counted in states like Georgia. So don't log off. Don't tune out. Please, this is your time to shine and we'll be right here with you until every vote is counted. I love it. Thank you so much. It's so um, encouraging to know that we can all play a role in such a practical manner, in a literal manner, <laughs> to um, to make sure those votes get counted. And so I, I appreciate you putting that out there. Um, I just wanted to, to put out this um, quote from Andre M. Perry, and it's a book um, called, from his book, um, Know Your Price, Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's uh, Black Cities. And it says, there can be no real sustainable protection in a democracy without citizenship. Our quality of life and even our existence is tied to the assumptions of who is an official member of the country. Our lack of protection signals second-class status. Yet there are no more, there's no more important power that can change that standing in life of a citizen than the right to vote. Ending racism may solve many black people's problems, but electing a black woman to the highest offices in the land may save America from itself. So let's just hope and pray that <laughs> that a black woman will be elected to one of the highest offices in the land, which will be uh, that of the vice presidency. So um with that said, uh, I want to thank you so much, Representative Cannon, um, for joining us. I appreciate that we have elected you as one of the highest offices in the land here in Georgia. And I, I applaud your work and look forward to seeing what you will be doing um, as through, for, through this term. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Goodbye, everyone. All right. So thank you so much, um, everyone. We have a whole other hour coming up with some um, great conversation with two other guests who are activists and who are actively involved in um, getting us out to the vote, getting uh, underrepresented people elected and um, making a difference in the community. Um, so I am uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Um, and as we are on the air. We're going to continue to watch what's happening with the election. So if there's anything, any updates that we need to um, impart to you all, we are going to make sure that we do that. So um, stay with us and we'll be back. The second half of the live exchange, I am Dr. Pamela, and we are talking today about Black women in politics and what that means and the dynamic um, around it. Um, during the first hour, uh, we had two phenomenal guests, Dr. Norma Mendoza-Denton and Representative Park Cannon 
for uh, representing here in the state of Georgia. Um, and really um, important, compelling dialogue around the importance and the power of Black women um, in leadership and in politics. And so in this next half of the show, we'll be joined by um, two guests, Jasmine Sessom and Shar Bates. And we will further delve into our discussion on Black women in politics and some of the traits that we bring um, to impact the political landscape. I want to start with a quote from, from Shirley Chisholm. Um, of course, she is Shirley Chisholm is the first Black woman to run for office, uh, and this was in the 70s, and um, really blazing the trail, opening the doors um, of possibility for women to come, like Kamala Harris. So here she, she says, you have to believe that something is possible that no one around you believes is possible. It requires us to dis- deconstruct what it means to be a first, to make viable and appreciate the amount of work, not only that individual, not only that individual has to do to see themselves as a whole and capable without historic precedent, but the absence of faith, the limits of support and confidence that may come from previous allies. That's the story of Shirley Chisholm, the story of Black women in politics, and really what it means to be Black in America. So important uh, for us to, to, to be willing to do what no one else has done, to see what no one else has seen, and um, to, to break those barriers. And we're continuing to see that happen um, with the election of um, you know Representative Park Cannon and um, the squad and um, you know so many other Black women who have been elected um, this year and re-elected. So I am looking forward to this conversation and um, I, I will, on the other side of this, um, look forward to introducing you to our guests. So stay with us, get involved in the conversation, and we'll be back. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are doing a post-election conversation about Black women in politics. And in the first hour of the show, we actually had a Black woman who is a politician as well as um, a researcher, a woman who looks at um, (laughs) linguistics and language and visual linguistics, really interesting um, dialogue there. So for the second half, I would love to introduce our two guests. So we have um, Jasmine E. Sessom. She is the founder and CEO of She Can Win. This is a movement that provides training and resources for women who are interested in running for political office. Since its inception, She Can Win has managed to get a plethora of women from all parties elected. Today, She Can Win brand, the She Can Win brand is expanding, providing a platform for women who are interested in both public affairs and government relations. Um, an advocate for civic leadership, Jasmine has made it her mission to empower women. This takes Uh, This includes taking the global press release distribution, everyday women, and strategizing ways to attain equal representation in office. Not to mention, she has created a platform that offers a sisterhood for women who want to see change in the political arena. And also, we have Char Bates. She is a broadcast graduate of television and radio broadcast production. In 2011, she founded the nonprofit Breaking the Chains, where she has launched several mentor programs that have raised 
uh, school attendance by over 30% for middle school and high school students, all while simultaneously leading and hosting nationwide community relief events, local health and entertainment teen summits, and music events in Atlanta since 20, 2008. Shar is also an indie radio pioneer who has in, interviewed a multiple of celebrities, dignitaries, artists, athletes, and moguls for the Shar Bates show. Without further ado, I am going ahead and bring these two phenomenal women on. Welcome, Jasmine Sessoms and Shar Bates. Hi. Hello there. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Great to have you on. And oh, do we have? Yeah, sorry about that. Is that a little bit of technical difficulties? How are y'all? Yeah, great, great. I'm glad you made it. You know, technical difficulties is the name of the game these days with COVID and the adjustments. So, <laughs> so we we pivot, we bounce back. So, checking in on you, ladies. How are you doing in light of the weight? You know, I'm hanging in there. I'm I'm practicing self care. I don't watch CNN all day. I don't really look at the updates. And I, I sit in Philadelphia. So Pennsylvania is kind of like that last state that everybody's side-eyeing and looking at and, and, you know, saying, did we do our part or did we not do our part? But overall, I'm fine. I, 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 am, I am actually fine because I will say, even though the presidential is a nail-biter, if you look across the, uh, the country, local elections have really trended in Black women's favor. Yes. Absolutely. And that is that's something we have to remember, um, you know, because we're we're seeing and, and we're seeing some, you know, flipping happening. And so be encouraged for me. I mean, honestly, for me, like I, I've been telling people like we gonna uh, listen, black people, we were born in survival mode. We're going to be the same. OK, <laughs> regardless yeah. of, of who does what we're going to keep on doing what we do, because like we walk in our purpose all the time. Look at what we're doing. Look at look at us. Look at us making the decision and having to save the day one way or another again. Like yeah, we like we. I think that out of everything, honestly, I'm I, I love things like this. I'm proud of our people. I think that we have come together more than we ever have. It's a lot of turmoil and a lot of you know bickering because people have strong personalities and sometimes they allow emotions to get over facts. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for the most part, you know, I think that everybody just needs to do more self-care and find their tribe right now and build. Absolutely. I, I agree. I had a moment on Tuesday night. I mean, you know, I was I was a little naive to think we were going to get results Tuesday night. Right. <laughs> and I had a moment on Tuesday night thinking, you know what? And because it, it looked like. um and, and look, there's no secrets here. I, I, I don't want Trump to win. So I'm not going to act like. You know, but there were moments where I thought, oh, God, you know, he might just get this. And I had to do some, some serious self-care mentally, like, OK, get your mind right, because if this does happen, you know, it's it's a different set of work we're going to need to do in the next four years. It doesn't mean the world's over. It means we've got a, a different set of work to do than what we necessarily wanted to do. But but that work is still going to be important regardless of who gets elected. We still have a system of racism in this country. We still have underrepresentation. So this is why I appreciate the work that both of you are doing. And I would love to know how each of you got into what you're doing. I, I and I'll I'll start with Jasmine. Um, how did you get into She Can Win? What what made you 
care about politics? You know, that's a, a great question. I fell into it completely. Um, one of my very close friends was running for office and he was like, look, I just want people around me that I trust. This is over 10 years ago now. And I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing, what's going down. He was like, it doesn't matter. You're organized. You can come and work on the campaign. We win the campaign and I kind of got like the bug, right, of working on campaigns. And I was a fundraiser by trade. And um, probably like on the 15th race, I realized I wasn't working on a lot of women's races, and I started looking at our local government here in Pennsylvania, and there weren't a lot of women, let alone a lot of women of color, let alone a lot of Black women, and I just started asking questions like, why? Why are there no women, women of color, Black women at this table when I see all of us working on these campaigns? And it's like, you know, there are barriers. There are real barriers in raising money, getting access to um, high network donors, but also the key decision makers. It is an all choice club. And um, knowing that Pennsylvania is 39th in the country when it comes to electing women, and even worse when it comes to electing women of color, I wanted to change it. So I, you know, I asked a few questions, a few le legislators. And I created a safe space for women to come and really learn about that political process. And um, that's really how it kicked off. It was very informal. A couple of women I knew wanted to run and I brought them in my basement and we just trained them. I got a whole bunch of people together and we trained them. You know, 600 like plus women later. Kind of stuff. This is, this is modern day Harriet Tubman type. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> I love it. We're, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to give Shar an opportunity to talk about how she got involved in the work that she's doing as well. So stay with us. We still have a lot to cover. Um, and so we'll be right back on the live exchange. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And um, today we are having a conversation about Black women in politics. And what um, will hopefully be a post um election uh, era. I would love to get some results uh, today, <laughs> but I guess we'll see. I'm joined by Jasmine Sessom, the founder and uh, CEO of She Can Win, as well as Shar Bates, and um, she is um, the host of the Shar Bates Show. Shar, can you tell us about how you got involved in politics and, and, and the work that you're doing? Uh, well, honestly, I've always been in the community. I've been in the community with my nonprofit and schools and mentoring for about 10 years. Um, and I actually started off on the media side and I just didn't like how it was like a pushback about talking about different cases back in the day. And then mm. when I more solely got involved um, in politics specifically was the whole Kemp situation back in 2018 when... Yeah. You know, it was the talk of the town amongst like the mid 40 year olds to, you know, and up. But nobody, none of the younger people and millennials was really talking about it. And um, attorney Griggs came and he told me what was going on. And after I talked to him, like, man, like soon as I made a video and like he seen how many people would say, he was like, man, we need to get you out here and talk to people. I started hitting all these radio stations. I'm like, yo, I don't really know politics like that. <laughs> I'm like, you know, <laughs> I do stuff in the community, but I'm kind of sophisticated ratchet. I don't know, you know, with my story is kind of similar to AOC, how like a lot of people is just like, yo, you need to be up on this. Like, and soon as I start talking about it, like I got, like a lot of different big organizations like Coalition DJs and Bonfire ATL and different people involved in it. 
And um, because I had already been kind of merging hip hop and the community. So then that's mm -hmm. when I went and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't even like politics. I'm like, F the Republicans, F the Democrats, my vote is hip hop. <laughs> and, you know, from a video, so many people was like, yo, I like that. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should. Maybe, you know. And so here we are. And, you know, we've been able to mobilize um, more millennial uh, voters than, you know, not just this state, but the Southeast and our followers have ever seen. Like, you know, we really created a wave, you know, in Atlanta and, you know, kind of made it cool. More solely like, listen, I don't really, here's the thing, I'm nonpartisan. Like, whatever you do, that's your business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, my voter hip hop is here to make sure that nobody's taking away your right to vote. You know, and make sure that we we uh, assist victims of incarceration, and you let let the hip hop community know what's going on from a hip hop perspective. Because it'd be a lot of big words and mumble jumble when they don't want you to know what's really going on. Right. And so you know, you gotta break it down in layman terms sometimes. But <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and so it's like it's so much. Soon as I got involved with it, literally within. You know, a few weeks, BT hit me, then Cop Watch America happened. And, you know, but really, I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing. You know, like, we yeah. have been sending planes to Puerto Rico for supplies when hurricanes was happening and semis to Flint, Michigan. I'm from Michigan. I'm from Flint. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, like we, like, we're, we're not, like, I was already involved in things in the community as far as relief, give back, and police brutality before um, politics got so crazy, um, yeah. which is why I didn't really want to be involved in it. And really being involved in what police brutality lets you learn politics. Because if you make too much noise, you make too much noise. And now you got people knocking on your door that you don't even know. Like, you, don't even, yeah. you shouldn't even know me. You know? Well, and here's the thing. When you are dealing with any injustice that's happening in society, any kind of change that you want to see happen, you are in politics, you know, and, and so many times yeah. you try to limit politics to elections, but it is everything that, that you know, it, it's not just election day, you know, it's, it's the results of election day. But that police brutality stuff is, is just about as political as it gets. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've noticed in in media, and, and you both can, can chime in on this, um, is one of the things that you mentioned, Shar, was, um, you know, when you say something, you know, um, it's about police brutality or about any injustice, people start knocking on your door. You start hearing back. You start getting responses. One of the things I've noticed with social media is that, um, you know, uh, Facebook, um, Twitter, they are paying attention. And so there are, you know, Black Lives Matter is has been highly politicized to the point where if you post something that's Black Lives Matter, you get it might get flagged. You know, if you post something about police brutality, it might get flagged. And so it makes me wonder, um, you know, is is social media helping or harming? <laughs> and it's probably doing both. Um, the work as we try to to push forth with you know, fighting these injustices. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely both, both, both. Because in a way, um, now I'm able to let, you know, uh, eat my page. So for instance, my page, I don't even have 30,000 followers. I'm at like 26 or something, 25. 
And so, but the fact that if my post goes viral, I could hit impressions with, you know, right. of over a million, um, that says a lot. But at the same time, if I'm spreading disinformation or if I'm just spreading a rhetoric that's not, you know, of the best interest of, you know, our people and not even just our people, but other groups as well, then that right. could that then it turns into a problem in which we know people is doing that every single day. Absolutely. So it helps and hurts. And so, Jasmine, how have you found um, social media to be either a, a form of support or, or hindrance to the work that you do? For me, it's a little bit of both, right? It can definitely be a really good um, driver of the message. So like yesterday, we created She Can Win Post for Every Black Woman that ran either one in a historical race like Cori Bush or Michelle Rayner or just a black woman that won on the federal level or a local level. And we're still creating them. And so many people, um, one, one, one young lady, she uh, texted me and she was like, Oh my gosh, I was on the, she can win uh, Instagram site. And she was like, somebody actually like donated to my, you know, now campaign is over, but she was like, somebody asked me like, how can I get more involved? And that's my area. So it was all about shedding light on a school board race that probably most people didn't pay attention to. Right. But it's a yeah. pretty historic win because she'll be the first woman of color on that school board. And yeah. so social media helped her get her message out by, you know, utilizing our platform. But then, you know, the, the false news is, is rough. It is, it is really yeah. rough and um, combating the false news, uh, Finding trusted sources for the information has always been rough. And how do you discern those things, right? But um, we look at social media as a plus. We want to spread the message and the work that we're doing, but more importantly, highlight local legislators that are doing really good work that you might not hear about on CNN or MSNBC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's important. And, and the thing is, you have people who actually care about the um, false news, uh, about, you know, deciphering between the false and the facts. Um, and then you have people who really just don't care if it's a headline, it sounds good. There's gotta be some truth to it somewhere. So I'm going to post it. Um, so that's, that's a huge problem. Um, we have to go to a break. Uh, we, we, when we come back, um, there's, there's some, um, research that I'm definitely going to be um, trying to get your, both of your viewpoints on, um, as it pertains to voice and, um, our voice as women. Um, and, and we just have uh, some statistics and other things that we want to cover. So stay with me, everyone. I will be right back on the live exchange. All right. So as we look at the science, um, I, I want to talk to you all about one of my favorite um, theories as it pertains to voice and women's voice. But first, I want to um, just uh, share about Barbara Jordan of Texas. Uh, she was the first black woman elected to Congress by a uh, former Confederate state. Um, Professor Jordan was a woman in possession of a voice, an intellect, and a political strategy so resonant that nearly a decade before Geraldine Ferraro's historic vice president run, Jordan's name was floated as a potential running mate for President Jimmy Carter. Dec decades later, Jordan, the Jordan way, which is outspoken, clear, and unapologetic Black women speaking their ideas, and how people respond to it is to become a major theme of this year's election. The ascent of Stacey Abrams, Senator Kamala Harris, and several other women who practice politics the Jordan way may now lead to the White House. So speaking of voice, 
This is a theory called Women's Ways of Knowing by Belenke, Clinchy, Goldberger, and Perule. And basically what it says is that we have different, um, we, we come into our own voice in, in different ways. And there's different ways that that is represented. And so I'm going to show you the different stages here. First, we have um, silence, which is we don't have a voice and we may choose silence or we may be compelled to silence. Um, and, but, but we just are we're not using our voice. Number two is received knowledge. This is where we are using the voices of others. So what somebody else told us is the truth as we see it. So we haven't developed our own voice. We are just expressing the voice of others. Number three is subjective knowledge. This is the inner voice. This is when we have discovered our voice. And this is when we have found it within us to express it. And sometimes it comes out quite emotionally. It can be anger. It can be an expression of excitement. It can be an expression of um, disgust. But we are willing to express it at this stage. Number four is procedural knowledge. And this is a voice of reason. This is where we become a little bit more strategic. And we, we, we put the emotion aside a bit to think about how do I get what I want? How do I use my voice in a way that's going to appeal to the people? And then number five is constructed knowledge. And what's interesting about this, I think it's a nice little surprise, um, it's an integration of all the voices. So what it essentially says is that all of these voices are valuable and, and all of these voices um, should be utilized from time to time, even silence. So there even is a time when silence is powerful. So that is women's ways of knowing. I'm curious to know, um, and, and I'll start with Jasmine, as you work with women in, in training them and developing and getting ready for politics, how is voice important and, and how do you prepare women to use their voice in, in position? I think it takes a time for women to find their voice, especially when you are running for in a public office. You have a very short window to come across inviting, yet but stern, warm, yet not a pushover. There are walking in extreme uh, tight line, you know, business savvy, but not a shark and not unscrupulous. So it's finding your voice in a really short time. And and I agree with this theory of sometimes silence, sometimes uh, receiving, using others' voices to amplify your message or your first gut reaction. And I think looking at what Senator Harris has had to go through in the very long-term but short-term of being the VP pick, but then also running for president, is finding her voice and crafting her message very quickly so that people could identify because when she was running for president, you know, the masses said she wasn't qualified. Uh, They obviously did not invest in that race because she um, dropped out due to fundraising restrictions. So um, it's finding a voice and women do struggle and have a heavy burden of trying to find a balanced voice that is, is is difficult. You know, um, it's, it, it is not lost on me that today is the day that Shirley Chisholm won Congress in 1968. You know what I mean? And one thing that our good sis Shirley said was you don't make progress by standing on the sidelines whimpering. You make progress by getting involved and using your voice and using your strength. And so I use that constantly when training women of, you know, you might not have gotten it right. You might not have found your voice yet, but keep using it. Your voice is valued. Your voice is needed in conversations. I love that. Thank you. And it reminds me of 
what you were saying reminds me of Michelle Obama's journey um, in learning the hard way that, you know, there's certain things you can say and not say and faces you can make and not make. And, and it's, it's a delicate process. I, I, I don't know that I would do it well, but, you know, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's a huge responsibility. Um, Char, you use your voice in a very big way. <laughs> How does this theory resonate with you? Are there moments where silence has worked for you or is it, do you gravitate to one type of voice more so than the other? Oof. <laughs> it's such a loaded question for me because, you know, I, I, you know, I don't follow the rules. I don't, mm -hmm. I like the rules don't work for us. Yeah. They don't like I, and, and it's not that I try to go against the rules, but we, I like, honestly, I get so tired of pulling out the little box that we as black women have to walk over to and get inside and close it until we shrink ourselves for people to feel like that's, that's okay. That's enough. We mm -hmm. now we can take you. We are calibrated now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, and I like in these, like, and I, it, you know, in this, it, it, I've been tired. Like it's a, you know, like I, I thank God. I, the more I get in tune spiritually, the more I'm like, I said what I said, it is what it is. It needed to be said. And this is what everybody is saying at the water cooler talk anyway, but yeah. it's just frowned upon to say it publicly. I think that, you know, at this point, we don't do our ancestors any justice for us to be standing up with our heads down. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. You know, because that's not, like as she just said, that's that's not the attitude of Shirley Chisholm, you know. That's not the attitude of Sojourn the Truth. They didn't. They were very bold mm -hmm. in how in in how they moved because you have to. It's uh, it's unfortunate that if you are not courageous with your plight, you get ignored. And yeah. I don't even. And I don't. And it's crazy because I hate that some people will try to put a label on me because I, because I will speak, because at the end of the day, I don't, because I will speak for the community and because I will speak the things that people say, oh, don't say that out loud. But the th it's the things that conversations need to be had in front of others because we, 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 I, I feel like where we are right now, you know, um, I pray about things and I talk to God and I make sure that, you know, it's clear in, in my spirit before I speak on things because I'm also very careful. And it is said that to a certain extent, even when you decide to make those bold statements, you still have somebody that you have to go and see about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, so you have to make sure that you're able to stand in that 10 toes down and you have to make sure that you're not standing in ego and that you're standing mm -hmm. in spirit and truth. Because sometimes yeah. it's a lot of people that's just talking real loud just to be able to make a mark or just to just because they know that people are going to pay attention. And when it's not something that you're supposed to abuse. But I do feel like right now. I feel like we all can use our voices more and we all need to be aware of the power that we have. And we don't have to just take anything. And everybody has a role. You know, everybody is Absolutely. different, you know, um, but yep. 
the in the the in in the walk that I'm in, I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna speak what's been laid on my heart and spirit to say, and you know if I'm wrong, I don't mind being proven wrong with fact and theory. Right. You and not just theory, not just theory. But yeah, I think that it, I just try to do my best to listen to people. I think that's the most important thing, and make sure you're yeah. from the heart. I agree. And, you know, it's interesting because when when we use our voices and, and both of you spoke to this, um, it's interesting the scrutiny that we receive yes. as black women that others don't receive. So how often has Mitch McConnell been attacked based on his culture and his gender because he's being obnoxious or because he's speaking too much or he's, you know, the things that he says are ridiculous? How often has he been mocked for his name? You know, have, have other politicians got on the mic and called him other names that are not his own name? And, and trust, there are some variations of Mitch that we can come up with. Yeah, I'm just saying. So, but nobody. This is not the the. This is not the strategy that he has to endure. But when black women speak, we have to endure mocking that has nothing to do with the content of what we're saying and everything to do with what we look like and and what our names are and who we are and it, it is a very different layer of of battle that we have to fight when engaging in politics yeah no absolutely um there is a different set of rules when you are a woman of color a black woman running for office than our white counterparts absolutely 100 percent. yeah yeah so when we come back we're, we're going to take a break when we come back i would love for the two of you to speak on um unique traits that black women bring to, to politics um the the gift I will say, um, of what black women bring to politics. So uh, we're going to have that conversation when we come back. Uh, so everybody stay with us on the exchange. Dr. Pamela and Sharp as because a lot of a lot of the elections have happened they're done and we know the answer and we are just waiting um for that presidential election so uh we'll see how that all turns out um before the break i mentioned that i want to get in a conversation about um the the unique traits traits that black women bring to the people um in politics and um Jasmine, I would love to hear what what Black women come to you with and what you try to instill in them through, you know, the work that you all do in preparing Black women for politics. Well, you know, I always like to say Black women are not a monolith, right? So there is no one answer um, to the traits question. But I do think that one thing that Black women do have in common is a sense of service and putting service before self. Normally, if you are willing to run for public office, that's something that uh, that's a trait that you have already is um, you are willing to put service before self and that you want to truly better your community and those that you're serving. Um, Black women have a tendency to uh, want to fix it all, right? They know that the government is a mess. They know that their city is a mess. They know their school district is a mess. So they jump right in, head in first and ready to go. So I I think that's something that you'll find from uh, one place to the next place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, thank you for that. And you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Black women are not a monolith. Um, and and <laughs> and um, what we bring to the table is, is a collective of um, what only Black women can bring. And, um, you know, I, I would say that um, just alone, just, just being the, the, the trailblazer, being the difference, being um, outside of the norm in terms of um, the white male dominant collective that we have, um, is it in of itself um, bringing in value to what, you know, to, to our being there? Um, any thoughts, Char, about what Black women bring to the table? I mean, uh, she's she said she said said it best. You know, like I mean, honestly, we bring the table. Like we <laughs> we, we, we do <laughs> like we do so much. Like even back to Condoleezza Rice, like it's always a black woman that is either a part of the spine or holding it up. Yeah. Wow. You know, and um, I think that I'm just so proud of so many people like Jasmine and other people that are, um, you know, bringing more black woman leaders to the forefront. Like that was just so needed. Like, bro, like <laughs> it's like, it's like hearing yourself on TV, like, yes, yes. Thank you for saying that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so I think it's important for us to see ourselves in that strong life, for our little girls to see us in that strong life, for our for our boys and our men mm -hmm. to have those reminders, because I think that they have enough reminders of, you know, the twerking and all the other stuff from us as women and so i like i think it's 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 really more of a matriarch when you see like black women in politics like you see it's like you see matriarchs in the making and live on tv you know yeah. and in your lives and in your communities and i think it's important because that's a part of the village you know um and you know we need people to know that it's people that care regardless of you know your color your class your you know uh tax returns you know um mm -hmm. they just care about you you know yeah. that's important for people to see because you know it's not enough love out here right now and if we don't bring nothing else you know Sometimes people may feel like it come on a little strong, but black women, we bring love. Yeah, we show I love it in that. A lot of different ways. And mm. if you can't tell that this is love out of politics, I don't know what to tell you because I'm sure Jasmine <laughs> and other people that she be recruiting can be doing other things, right. you know, as well as myself. <laughs> because most of us don't get paid for it. And even when we do, it ain't enough. It really yeah. is not enough. You yeah. know, you have to, because because you go through things that money can't solve. So mm -hmm. you really have to love our people. You really yeah. have to love people, period, to get involved in this fight. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, the fight, just the thought of getting involved in the fight, you know, especially from the standpoint of running for office is, is a, it, it's a huge, scary thought because there's a lot involved and let alone the money that needs to be raised, but also, the um the the 
preparing for attacks because that's the nature of, of politics in our society is how do I prepare for that? So I would imagine it takes quite the thick skin um, to, to step into this realm. One, one other thing that I would add to this is um, resiliency. So when we look at resiliency theory, it's really, it's saying that um, it's not about dealing with adversity or it's not about having adversity in our lives. It's how we deal with the adversity. Um, and I would say that, and of course I can never say all, but I would say that probably most of the black women who have made it to office, who have taken the leap to run for office, um, probably have a level of resiliency, um, that, that other groups may not have to carry um, because of some of the very challenges that I that I mentioned. Do you see any? Um, and and I and I guess I'm asking this of um, Jasmine more so. Do you see evidence of of resiliency that the women are, are you know overcoming, not just in politics but in their personal lives? Is that a theme at all, or is it, you know I'm sure that there's probably variation. Well, I mean, resiliency, you have to be resilient if you want to run for office. That's just first and foremost. But um, I think there is a renewed sense of, I don't want to say self-worth, but just a sense of belonging and wanting that seat at the table and kind of like a, a confidence in knowing that you belong at that table. Um, I think before we were pretty much relegated uh, in either party um, to the back and to kind of do the grunt work and to knock the doors and drop the lid and um, do kind of like a lot of field work and leg work. Um, but now I think we we most certainly handle that part, right? We're going to get the vote out. We are going to door knock. We're going to make sure that our candidates move to the forefront. But I also think that Black women are seeing themselves as the, as the candidate of like, you know what? I can help get mediocre white man elected. Why not? Why not me? Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I think that is, um, it's telling when you, you know, even just turn a mediocre white man, um, a lot of people are in office, not because they're the smartest or the sharpest or the, you know, and this is obvious, but, it, you know, a lot of people are in office because of who they know, because of the money that they have. Um, and I think that with the work that you're both doing in, in bringing awareness, but also bringing voters to the table, um, we can shift that. Um, I think we need to demand as voters that our leaders are people who are competent, who care, who, who know what they're doing. Um, Shar, as you, you know, get, do your work with, with the people who will be doing the voting, um, what kinds of expectations do they say they have of their leaders? What do they want? I, I think the most important thing that everyone wants is follow up and follow through. Um, you know, uh, more of, more, more of an update, you know, from time to time on what, what you've actually accomplished. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think that we all, and, and I don't know who this is for, but just period, we need more of an accountability system. You know, yeah, uh, we need more of a, um, like we need updates. <laughs> you know? Right. And we're supposed to have checks and balances, but. Yeah, it's not enough of that, but you know, when you, um, but I think that I think that all of us could be, and myself included, could be more involved um, 
throughout the year outside of just the election times. Yeah. I, I think that that changing right there would change the temperature of a lot because we wouldn't allow these people to get fully through a turn with, yeah. you know, getting away, getting away with not, you know, doing their job. Right, <laughs> not just right. doing what this person or that person wants them to do, but you're not just, just not doing your job. Yeah, yeah, and we see way too much of that happening. Um, we're going to go to a break when we come back. I would, I would love for each of you to give us uh, an, an overview of, of what you're doing and how everybody can get in touch with you um, on the other side of this break. So stay with us. Pamela, and we are having a conversation about black women in politics and. Um, um, I'm looking at what's next for us and um, joined by um, Shar Bates and um, Jasmine Sessoms. And we're, uh, I, I really, before we end the show, I um, wanted to hear what each of you are currently up to and how people can get involved. So we'll start with Shar. Uh, oh, my vote is hip hop. Um, pretty much, if you go to myvoteishiphop.com, and you join our neighborhood coalition. Um, we're going to the underserved areas um, in Atlanta. And, you know, that's where the work is in our opinion. Um, <clears throat> so whether you want to do beautification projects or whether you want to, you know, do canvassing door to door, um, even if it's just to um, let some of these neighborhood, some of these people in their neighborhoods know what local programs is going on that can assist people it's a lot of people that's losing their homes you know and they don't even know that arthur blanks has a program where you know he'll pay your um the additional money and property taxes that you can't afford different things like that um if you would like to give back um whether it's through mentoring or you know helping people with rent reparations or victims of incarceration get back on their feet um join our neighborhood coalition we'd love to have you um and and yeah uh you can follow me i'm Sharbates on instagram um and yeah thank you so much for having me you guys are amazing i love what you're doing thank you thank you and and you you said something that, that I, I would love if you can just summarize in 20 seconds rent reparations <laughs> uh, <laughs> i can't let that <laughs> um pretty much we helped uh quite a few people with, um, we started off helping with giving them, uh, helping them with uh, financial um, money towards their rent. And then uh, we helped a lot of people with the moratoriums. Um, but we also have people, listen, after the end of December, that moratorium is gonna expire. So if you would like to give back and help people, please contact us at info at myvotishiphop.com. And if you need help with your rent um, for next year or transitioning, go to um, myvotishiphop.com or info at myvotishiphop.com. All right. Thank you. And then as far as Jasmine, um, can you give us a quick overview of how people can reach you and get involved with what you're doing? Yes, absolutely. You can um, visit our website, www.shecanwin.net, or just follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or um, Facebook, She Can Win at She Can Win Now. All right. Awesome. And, the, and, and just to... Um, remind everybody, um, the work that, that Jasmine is doing is really about helping and preparing women to um, get into politics, Black women, and, um, and it's, it's, it's important, powerful work. So if, if you're ever considering it, you might want to reach out and, and get involved with what they're doing. Um, so I want to thank everybody. For having me. I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Thank you for having me. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I appreciate having you both on here. This is such important work that you're doing. Um, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the live exchange where we exchange compelling dialogue around humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday from 11 to 1. Join me next week at 11 as um, we discuss women in leadership um, from a different standpoint. And um, if we if we come together, together we can right the wrong, we can speak the truth, we can rise above, and we can stand for change. Thank you all again for joining us. We'll continue this conversation um, and have an awesome week.